Welcome to the Hannah Miller Show. And here she is, Hannah Miller. Outspokenly conservative and unashamedly Christian, this is Hannah Miller, and this is what happened this week. So first of all, apologies for last weekend. I ended up going on a super last-minute trip to see my sister in Pennsylvania. My mom and I just threw the kids in the car and drove up there because we're a little crazy. We had a phenomenal week. The weather was just gorgeous. And uh, so I just couldn't not take the opportunity. My, my husband is often gone, uh, and he was gone last week. And so I said, you know what? I'm not going to stick around here. We're going to go and visit my sister, and so we decided to take that road trip and visit her, and so I, because it was so last minute, did not have a podcast planned for you guys, so I apologize for that, but we're back in the saddle this week. I've got two short stories that I'm going to bring to you that we're going to talk about, but first of all, just a reminder that you can go on my website, uh, thehannamillershow.com, and right there at the top, uh, at the at when it, the web page, the homepage pops up, there's a place that says, uh, ask me anything. And you can go there. Of course, you can do it via Instagram or Facebook or text message if you have my number and ask me about stories that you care about, that you want to know about. Um, because, you know, I have to weed through a lot of stuff each week to fi- figure out and try to analyze what do you guys want to hear about? What are the important stories? What are the things that we should be talking about? And uh, and I know I'm not perfect at doing that. And so any feedback that I get from you guys helps me to do the best job possible in bringing you the news that you care about uh, and that you want to know about. And of course, if there's any story that I've covered before that you want an update on, that's a great place to go and ask me about that as well. Um, and also, just as a reminder, it's always great when you guys like, share uh, the, the podcast and let other people know about it. And uh, always rate and review. That really helps me with the algorithms. All right. So we're going to California first thing for today's podcast. And this is a a resounding win for California gun owners. And I always like to report good stories for for gun ownership just because of, you know, we're, well, I'll get to why, but it really is, we're in a discouraging time with our um, judicial system and our court system. And so it's just encouraging when you hear of these wins that are happening, especially in a place like California. And of course, gun ownership is directly connected to liberty and freedom. Without gun ownership, you really, uh, for for gun owners, for the lay people, for civilians, then you really don't have the liberty that we have become privileged to have here in the United States. So a district court judge delivered a second blow to the state's restrictions on magazines capable of holding more than 10 rounds of ammunition. So this was District Judge Roger Benitez, and he was an appointee of President George W. Bush, and he had, in the landmark case of Duncan v. Bonta, Judge Benitez ruled that California's restrictive law goes against the grain of our Constitution, infringing upon the Second Amendment and the rights it protects, rights cherished by the plaintiffs, and by many of us and those listening. So, if you don't remember, California's anti-Second Amendment legislators initiated this law in 2016. As expected, 
It faced immediate legal challenges, and I'm not going to go into all of the details of you know where it went and all of where it's been on its journey for the last seven years. But to make a long story short, the case ascended to the U.S. Supreme Court. It remained in limbo until last year when the landmark decision in New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin was handed down, and the Supreme Court vacated the Ninth Circuit's ruling, remanding it to the district court for a fresh review. So that's how all of this kind of came about. It was legally challenged immediately in 2016, went on its long journey to the Supreme Court, was in limbo until last year. Then we had a ruling. It was sent back to the Ninth Circuit. And then here we are getting, finally getting a ruling on it. And one that, praise the Lord, is right in line with the United States Constitution. Joe Wolverton reminded me of an oft-forgotten founding father, St. George Tucker who wrote this, This may be considered as the true palladium of liberty. The right of self-defense is the first law of nature. In most governments, it has been the study of rulers to confine this right within the narrowest limits possible. Wherever standing armies are kept up and the right of the people to keep and bear arms is, under any color or pretext whatsoever prohibited, liberty, if not already annihilated, is on the brink of destruction. Basically, that's just a really fancy, intelligent way of reminding you and I that where there's standing armies, where the, the right of self-defense is not infringed, there is liberty. And at any point whatsoever that that right to self-defense begins to be infringed upon, liberty is at the brink of, of destruction. And so that's why I always like to share good stories, good wins for gun owners in the United States, because it is what protects our liberty, first and foremost. So this was a win, a win for uh, Californians. Good for you guys. Glad for you. Great ruling. And I appreciate this very, and if you go back, if you want, you can read what this judge had to say, and it's very constitutional, and I'm not reading, I'm not going to read the whole ruling. Um, we just don't have time. But I appreciated it because of how constitutional it was. And like I said, anytime the Second Amendment has been defeated, liberty gains another foothold in our constitutional republic, and that's always a good day in my book. All right, so the story from this week that I want to talk about a little bit longer, Kevin McCarthy. So after much pleading and reminding folks of his kindness in, and I'm putting this in air quotes, diplomatic leadership <laughs> by friends and allies, this week, Kevin McCarthy became the first House Speaker in history to be ousted from his position. Representative Matt Gates led the challenge, and the vote margin ended up being two, 216 to 210, with a smirking and delighted Democrat caucus supporting the vote. Many Republicans were indignant over this vote. More on that in a moment. First, let me read to you a quote from Steve Bonta's article on this. And it's, a, it's a, about a paragraph, so just hang with me. It, the whole thing is excellent, though, so I want to give you the whole thing because it really summarizes why this happened and, in my opinion, why it needed to happen. So, quote, McCarthy was, simply put, the wrong man for the job. Despite his affability and experience, he's been committed to doing things according to what have become 
the traditional rules in D.C. Promises unkept, backroom horse trading, and pandering to selfish special interests. And, as has been the case for three decades, refusal to operate under the restraints of a budget and focus appropriations bills. And focused, excuse me, focused appropriations bills. McCarthy's postponement of making tough budget choices until the last possible moment and then capitulating in the passage of yet another omnibus continuing resolution proved to be the final straws for a growing contingent of principled constitutionalists within the House GOP who have had it with business as usual, end quote. The only thing with that is calling these seven, eight representatives principled constitutionalists. I'm not sure all of them deserve that name, particularly Nancy Mace here from South Carolina. I think she was, you know, she's trying to get on the good side of her of her voters, which is what they're all trying to do. And I'm going to talk about that in a moment. But her Freedom Index score, her constitutional score is not very good. The rest of these guys, though, have very good Freedom Index scores. They're very constitutional in their voting. And I think it is very true to call them principal constitutionalists who just said, you know what? No, this is not how we can continue to operate. And you said you were going to do things differently, McCarthy, and you didn't. Now, Gates hasn't won many friends on the Hill with his war against the Speaker. In fact, GOP Congressman Garrett Graves from Louisiana unloaded on Representative Matt Gates Tuesday for immediately fundraising off of his campaign to oust now former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. So he was really mad that Gates had used this as a, you know, campaign token, so to speak, or to say, hey, he sent out text messages or emails or something like that and said, hey, I, I did this thing. Uh, we pushed, we got a vote to get McCarthy out. We did it. And he was asking for support for his campaign. Gates claims he initiated a motion to vacate the chair because, in his view, McCarthy made promises to the Republican conference that he failed to keep. In the end, only seven of Gates' Republican colleagues agreed with him, but that did not stop him from using it to raise money. And so, you know, but he's right. McCarthy did make promises and he failed to keep them. And really, this is kind of how we probably should have been operating for a long time. Like, look, if you make promises and you don't keep them, and especially if you do things that are unconstitutional, like so many of these omnibus bills are and so much of the spending is, then because because we're funding things that we the Constitution does not delegate to the feds. So thereby, it's unconstitutional. It's none of their business, and they should have been ousted a long time ago. And we should have been doing this to a lot of the House speakers, in my opinion. And so finally, Gates and seven others were like, you know what? This is it. This is We're drawing the line. And Gates, Gates responded that he's not bothered by his Republican critics, claiming his decision to oust McCarthy was not self-serving. And there's a reason I'm talking about this, and I'll get to it. He said this, I take no lecture on asking patriotic Americans to weigh in and contribute to this fight from those who would grovel and bend knee for the lobbyists and special interests who own our leadership, who have hollowed out this town and have borrowed against the future of our future generations. And of course, problem with this is the irony of Gates leading the campaign against McCarthy they're calling it ironic, I'll respond to that, is that five years ago, Gates resisted removing then-House Speaker Paul Ryan over concerns that it would fracture the House Republican Caucus. And he has a quote on it, I'm not going to go into it, but, you know, he says, we need to stay unified, we need to work together. 
We don't want to shatter into a bunch of factions fighting against each other for power. That was his comments back in 2018. And, uh, but let me say this. When Matt Gates began his political career in Washington, D.C., he finished his first session with a 74% Freedom Index score. That's a lot better than a lot of other quote-unquote conservative Republicans, and I'm looking at, you know, Lindsey Graham and many others of his ilk. That's 74% better than them. Still not great, in my opinion, because that's that's a C <laughs> when you look at it. That was in 2018, the same year he made that statement about Paul Ryan. But all, unlike almost every single other politician in D.C., and I have looked this up name by name, did you know that statistically, after nine years in D.C., Republicans, so-called conservatives, begin to become more and more liberal? That a lot of times they they start out strong and then by the ninth year, they're center of the pack, if not left leaning. They have failing grades. And it's very, very, very rare that politicians do what Matt get what happened with Matt Gates. And that's that he became more in line with the Constitution, finishing the last this last session with a 97% freedom index score and currently maintaining a 90% freedom index score for this session. Did you know that? One of the one of the few and he's actually the seven other Republicans who voted with him outside of Nancy Mace who's gotten weaker as the year as as time has gone, the others have in all of them had very good very good freedom index scores. I don't remember all the numbers. I think the lowest was an 84% um, freedom index score. Majority of them had 90% or above freedom index scores. All of these really are truly principled constitutionalist. So for me, I think he probably has made a movement here of being in 2018, he was not as constitutional as he should have been. He made those statements about Paul Ryan, but unlike the majority of politicians, as time has passed, he's become more conservative, more constitutionalist, and he has realized, no, we have to draw a line in the sand. And you know, I'm okay with people changing. People do change. If they change the way that you don't want them to, you vote them out. If they begin to change more and more in line with your values, you keep them in. That's how this all works. And that brings me to my last point. That I just laughed. I mean, I literally laughed out loud when they started lambasting him for using this as an opportunity to raise support. Because is that not how this whole thing works? I mean, I'm still laughing about this because they called it disgusting. And they said, oh, how could you be doing this? Like, politicians, they do what the people want. They let the people know, hey, I did this thing you wanted, and the people support them because they want a politician who accurately represents them. To say this is disgusting is to acknowledge that you don't believe the politician's job is to go to Washington, D.C. or whatever state house and do what the people want. What exactly about this is disgusting? I mean, be for real with me for a minute. The American people, especially conservative Americans, by and large, want something done about the budget and our out-of-control spending. When the House Speaker didn't do what he said he was going to do, Matt Gates stepped up and said, well, my people want something done, so I'll do my best to get someone that will do something. I mean, if you don't campaign on what you have or have not done while in office, if you don't campaign 
on your voting record, what, what are you campaigning on? Basically, this guy is saying, I'm not here for the people I represent. I'm here for the lobbyists. And campaigning on what I do and raising money from these people that I represent based on my voting record is disgusting because that's not what I'm here to do. That's not, and that is not what the majority of politicians are in Washington, D.C. to do, unfortunately. Why, if you're not campaigning on your voting record, what, what are people voting for you? Or why are people voting for you? And really, complete honesty. This is my last point on it, and I'll let you go. While I always want politicians to do the right thing, because it's the right thing, and not just politicians, but anybody and everybody, we should all be so intrinsically motivated to do the right thing because it's the right thing. I also realize that sometimes a little external motivation is what it takes. And that, my dear listeners, is why we have elections. It is why we are a constitutional republic. Because politicians most often are not intrinsically motivated to do right. But, as my dad says, they won't see the light until they feel the heat. That's what this whole thing is about. Putting the heat on these guys. And we cannot put the heat on them if we do not follow their voting record and follow what they do. And Matt Gates has felt the heat from his people and he's doing what they want him to do. And so are these seven others. And it's about time all the other politicians fall in line and start feeling the heat themselves so that they may see the light and do what is right. That's how it works. It's called elections. And so it's laughable when these guys say that this was wrong for Matt Gates to do. Absolutely not. This is what he's supposed to be there. To. If he's doing the right thing, he should let his people know. Let his people know, hey, I'm up here. I'm doing the thing that you wanted me to do. Continue to support me so I can continue to do what you want me to do. That's how it works. That's how the game is played. That's how the game is played. So whether he was internally motivated because it was the right thing to do, I don't know. But at the end of the day, he did the right thing, whether because he was internally or externally motivated. One of those things. One of those two. While we would love for it to be an internal motivation because people just have morals and they want to follow the Constitution because that's what they're supposed to do, the reality is we're fallen creatures. And sometimes we need a little external motivation. And that's your and my job. Hope you have a great weekend. Talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to The Hannah Miller Show. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast. This podcast is produced by Bob Sloan Audio Productions. If you'd like to find out more about Hannah or to schedule her for a speaking event, go to her website, thehannamillershow.com. 